Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. We are officially now in year two of the podcast. So on last week's episode, we finished one year of walking through the catechism. We, we got to the halfway point, and now on today's episode, we embark on year two. So we'll see what, what the year ahead holds in store for us. Uh, but I thank you for joining me on this journey, for tuning in each week and uh, working our way through the catechism together. I mentioned at the end of each episode, or I invite you on the end of each episode to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so if you're on Instagram and or Facebook, please connect with me at Catholic Light Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe and share with your family and friends. Um, periodically, I meet with a friend, I have a friend, Jackie, who is very, very savvy with social media. She has a couple of businesses on Etsy and she, you know, advertises and connects with her customers through social media. So she helped me set up, you know, my different accounts. And uh, so I met with her last week asking her to help me navigate a couple things and asking her for more tips. And she said, you know, um, TikTok is really the place where people are going now. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel too old for TikTok. Um, so we'll see if we, we venture into TikTok someday. But for now, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And um, I, again, encourage you to connect with me there and then to, to share it with your family and friends um, so as to invite others to listen to the podcast and hopefully through the podcast, uh, grow in their relationship with Christ. Jackie was asking as we met, she said, okay, so, you know, you want to do this, try this, go here to try to drive traffic, um, to your Instagram and then through Instagram to your podcast. She said, what's, you know, what's the point of, of getting people to your Instagram and then to your podcast? I said to listen to it, to read the catechism to come to know Jesus, to be happy. She was like, hey, not bad. <laughs> so um, what we started on last week's episode and we'll continue on today's episode is talking about the sacrament of penance or reconciliation, confession. And on the second half of the episode, we'll read paragraphs 1434 through 1460. That first paragraph, uh, 1434, talks about how we have the opportunity for penance in our daily lives. So it's not just through the sacrament of confession that we receive a penance to then go out and, um, you know, atone for our sins, reconcile with Christ and the church, but our daily lives provide lots of opportunities for that. So let's just look at a line from 1434 and then uh, 1435. 1434 says, the interior penance of the Christian can be expressed in many and various ways. Scripture and the fathers insist above all on three forms, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. So how perfect. If you're listening to this in real time, we are in the first full week of Lent, which focuses on fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Um, if you're not listening to this in real time, what a great thing to do throughout the rest of the liturgical year. Um, the Catechism goes on to say, which express, so fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, which express conversion in relation to oneself, to God, and to others. So when we fast, we are experiencing conversion within ourselves. When we pray, we experience conversion in relationship, our relationship with God. And then when we give alms or make donations of money, food, our time, talent, and treasure, uh, we are experiencing, have the opportunity to experience conversion in relation to others. 
paragraph 1435 goes on to talk about how this conversion is accomplished in daily life. Um, so it gives a bunch of different examples. And then it ends with this great line, uh, taking up one's cross each day and following Jesus is the surest way of penance. I want to read that again. Taking up one's cross each day and following Jesus is the surest way of penance. How awesome, how simple, not easy, but how simple and within each of our grasps. Okay, each of us, uh, whether it's the annoyances of, of daily life w within ourselves. So, um, you know, if we experience, you know, illness or, or chronic pain, um, things like job loss, um, if we experience the annoyances of, of other people, those with whom we live, those who, with whom we work, um, those we encounter at the grocery store, at church, we have lots of opportunities within our grasp each and every day to take up our cross and um, joyfully unite them, or maybe not so joyfully, unite them to the sufferings of Christ on the cross. Our son Peter is just about three, and I don't know if it's just his his joyful, exuberant, kind of loud little personality, or if it's the the result or um, concomitant with being the third child. But he, <laughs> to get my attention, he'll say "mom" about ten times. Mom, 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 and now it's to the point where he just does it so naturally that even if after the first mom, I'm like, "Yes, Peter," he's still going, "Mom, mom, mom." Oh, okay, there you are. Um, mom, can I have a glass of milk or like, can you open this for me or whatever? So um, we were with a friend, Father Chris, who's also Peter's godfather, and he said, "Man, can I just get that? Can I record that? And I'm gonna make that your ring, your ringtone. So every time you you call me, I'll just hear." Mom, 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 and think of Peter. I said, that's so funny. And also that's my daily life. Thank you. <laughs> so we all, whether it's, um, you know, children uh, or other family members uh, asking, asking, asking for our attention, our time, our help, whether it's coworkers, whether it's, again, people at the grocery store, people at church, uh, our neighbors, our other family members and friends with whom we don't necessarily live, um, we all encounter um wonderful relationships, but also annoyances to our relationship. And again, that might be um, brought on by our very selves. So not just these other people around us, but our own impatience, our own selfishness, our own tendencies towards that which is comfortable and more safe. Um, these things spring up in our lives each day. And if we can embrace them, patiently bear them, work through them. That's an opportunity for conversion, for reconciliation with God, ourselves, and others. So how awesome, how annoying, but also how awesome that we don't have to climb a mountain. We don't have to, um, I don't know, uh, walk a mile on our knees. We don't have to wear sackcloth and ashes to experience conversion to repent, to be renewed and transformed by God, but we can bear these these little things, um, and sometimes these these great, um, really trying things, by the grace of God, and be transformed, renewed, converted, reconciled as a result. So thank you, Jesus, for that. I'd like to consider one other paragraph that we'll read on the second half of the episode, and that's paragraph 1440. Paragraph 1440 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about how sin ruptures communion. So we talked last week about communion with God, communion with others, communion with, with all that the church puts forth um, 
the, the teachings of Jesus Christ. And again, paragraph 1440 talks about how sin ruptures communion with God and communion with the church. So every time we commit a sin, we're not only hurting our relationship with God, but we're hurting our relationship with the church or with others, other members of the body of Christ. I think it's important to think about this, reflect on this, and um, allow that reflection to to shape our, our daily lives because we live in a world that that's very focused on autonomy. Um, you know, I'm my own man or woman. I can do what I want. No one tells me what to do. And, you know, I pave. Maybe it's also a very American way of being. I, I pave my own way. I carve my own path. I pull myself up from the bootstraps and, and decide where I'm headed. And um, in keeping with that or in conjunction with that, I think that many of us, um, I, I, maybe I'll just talk about myself, I think like, oh, some of the things I do, that's just between me and God. And it's sad that I hurt my relationship with God, but that's not really anybody else's business because it doesn't affect them or it doesn't have to do with them. And what paragraph 1440 discusses today is that it does. Th there's no such thing as a private sin. A everything we do affects our relationship with ourselves. It forms who we are. It affects our relationship with God. And whether we see it or recognize it or not, it affects our relationship with others. Um, there's, there's no such thing as a private sin. This Lent, I decided to give up texting, which uh, it came, came about because I realized, especially because I have small children who, when I'm texting, they're like, Mom, Mom, hey, Mom. Um, it, it really fragments my day or it, it gets, you know, it's to stop what I'm doing uh, look at a text or respond to a text it's easy in a lot of ways you know rather than like calling and chatting with someone for a while you can you know fire off a text or respond to a text very quickly but to stop and do that and then okay look back up and get back to what you're doing it just like it kind of stops the day and then you get back up and go again and then it, you stop for a moment and then you have to kind of like whew, reintegrate yourself um, so I decided to give up up texting, and I, I warned my family and friends, like, hey, you know, I'm not going to be texting this Lent, so, you know, I'll see your text come through, and then I'll just give you a call back when I have a chance. So thank you in advance. So I knew that um, it would, as Lent is meant to do, change the dynamic of my relationships, but I didn't realize how quickly and how much that, that would affect my family and friends. So my one friend, Joanna, um, maybe like two days into Lent, I think it was Thursday, I don't think it was even Friday yet, I had called her for about the third time, and she just picks up the phone giggling, like, hey, I was like, hey, did you think that my sacrifice for Lent would affect you this much? She was like, nope, didn't, it's great, but it did not think it would affect me this much. My dear friend, Teresa, whom I've mentioned a, a couple times on the podcast, I called her, um, you know, a day or two into Lent, I had, you know, maybe like, two or three things I wanted to share with her, ask her about. And uh, so I called her and, um, you know, we're chatting and chatting and chatting. About 50 minutes in, I was like, I'm so sorry. Um, you, I know you're in the middle of your work day. Do you, do you have any calls coming up? She goes, actually, I'm, I'm not working from home today. I'm in the office and I've been in the stairwell since you called. <laughs> I was like, Teresa, I'm so sorry. Thanks for taking my call. And also, sorry, my Lent is really affecting your Lent and your work day. So, um, so it's been a real exercise in a lot of things. I'm keeping a note on my phone. Things I've learned from not texting during Lent. Um, it's yielded some really beautiful things. I've had some, some wonderful conversations I would not normally have had were I texting. Um, but it's made me realize uh, or brought, brought back 
to the fore of my life that uh, what I do really affects other people. Um, so this this single little decision I made not to text during Lent has really affected my family and friends. So family and friends, if you are listening, thank you for bearing with my non-texting Lent. Um, so let's turn to paragraph 1440 and see what what the catechism has to say about how our decisions and the catechism speaks specifically in terms of sin. Texting is not a sin. I don't mean to make that correlation, but I mean to to show through analogy that what we do affects other people. So let's see what the catechism says about how our, our sins, our decisions um, affect our relationship with God and others. So paragraph 1440 says, sin is before all, all else an offense against God, a rupture of communion with him. At the same time, it damages communion with the church. For this reason, conversion entails both God's God's forgiveness and reconciliation with the church, which are expressed and accomplished liturgically by the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. So what we do, and in this, this particular instance, our sins affect not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with others, with, with the whole church, whether we see it immediately or not. And so, uh, as we talk about this, this sacrament of confession, reconciliation, penance, the catechism points out here that one of the reasons that we go to the priest to confess our sins is not only is he acting in persona Christi, so he stands in the person of Christ to reconcile us with God. So we are confessing and asking forgiveness for our sins from God first and foremost, because that is first and foremost the relationship that is affected. But also the, the priest as a human being, as a fellow Christian, stands in the stead of the church. So that when, when I say in confession, I'm sorry for X, Y, and Z, I'm apologizing to God, and I'm also apologizing to the church, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, whom I have affected, whom I have hurt um, through my sins. And so I, I just love um, how the sacraments, how so many dimensions of our, our Catholic faith um, reveal that, or remind us, that we as human beings are both body and soul. We're in relationship with God, in relationship with others, in relationship with our, our very selves. And these sacraments speak to each of those relationships, touch on um, the fact that we're body and soul, and that we're in communion with God and with others, and have a relationship even with ourselves. So that when I confess, when I say, I am sorry, in the sacrament of confession, um, in a very real, tangible way, I'm saying that to God, to Christ, who is is represented by the priest. But I'm also saying that to my fellow man, um, to another person who is affected by my decisions, affected by my sin. So, God, you were good setting up the sacraments this way. It's like you knew us. It's like you knew what would work best for us as human beings. Way to go. Jesus is like, thanks. Got it. Um, my son, Declan, recently asked, um, I said something about adoration. He said, oh, is that when you go, you know, in the little room and talk to the priest? I said, no, that's actually confession, not adoration. And um, he said, well, why, why do you talk to the priest in confession? And I was like, ah, oh, this is well-timed. Right as we're coming up upon, uh, you know, the, the sacrament of confession in the catechism. And so, again, I said to him what, what I just said to you, that the priest acts in persona Christi. It's, it's God who forgives us. Um, but the priest helps us see that and understand that and hear that so that um, I think it, it serves a handful of purposes here, two of which are, one, if 
if any of us struggles with scrupulosity so that we walk out of the confessional and maybe the next week or, you know, the next month, the next year, we think like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I did that. Or, um, you know, does God really forgive me of this? We can think back to a distinct moment in time where the priest acting in persona Christi said, you know, your sins are forgiven as he extends his hands and says the words of absolution instituted by Christ himself. We know we are guaranteed that we are forgiven so that as we, after walking out of that confessional, we don't have to wonder. Um, but there was a moment in time where, where God forgave us, you know, wiped us as clean of our sins. Also in a very practical way, um, that priest who hears our confession um, can give us helpful tips so as not to, um, you know, commit those sins again. So you, you may have experienced in confession, you know, in, in confessing a particular sin, the priest might offer like, hey, why don't you try this? Or have you ever considered this? Or even in giving a specific, I've gotten very specific penances, you know, besides the old like, say in Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory be, or say three Hail Marys. One time I got 10 Hail Marys. I was like, oh gosh, I guess my sin was pretty bad this time. Um, but I've gotten penances before where it's like, um, you know, do something for this person you just confessed sinning against. Um, or, you know, do, do another practical thing to help work against this sin or this tendency in your life so as not to commit it or commit it less and less and less, God willing, and by his grace, um, so that you won't, you know, struggle with this as much as you're struggling with it right now. So God, once again, way to go on instituting these sacraments. Um, thank you, Lord, for the sacrament of confession and for... Uh, placing the priest in your stead so that we can be reminded um, every time we, we sin, we're, we're hurting not only our relationship with you, Lord, but our relationship with others. And thank you for extending that, that reconciliation, that forgiveness, so that each of our relationships with you and with others may be healed. We'll now take a brief break and return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 1434 through 1460. Thanks for sticking around. Mom! 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 You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1434 through 1460. The many forms of penance in Christian life. The interior penance of the Christian can be expressed in many and various ways. Scripture and the Fathers insist above all on three forms, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, which express conversion in relation to oneself, to God, and to others. Alongside the radical purification brought about by baptism or martyrdom, they cite as means of obtaining forgiveness of sins, efforts at reconciliation with one's neighbor, tears of repentance, concern for the salvation of one's neighbor, the intercession of the saints, and the practice of charity, which covers a multitude of sins. Conversion is accomplished in daily life by gestures of reconciliation, concern for the poor, the exercise and defense of justice and right, by the admission of faults to one's brethren, fraternal correction, revision of life, examination of conscience, spiritual direction, acceptance of suffering, endurance of persecution for the sake of righteousness. Taking up one's cross each day and following Jesus is the surest way of penance. Eucharist and penance. Daily conversion and penance find their source and nourishment in the Eucharist. 
For in it is made present the sacrifice of Christ, which has reconciled us with God. Through the Eucharist, those who live from the life of Christ are fed and strengthened. It is a remedy to free us from our daily faults and to preserve us from mortal sins. Reading sacred scripture, praying the liturgy of the hours and the Our Father, every sincere act of worship or devotion revives the spirit of conversion and repentance within us and contributes to the forgiveness of our sins. The seasons and days of penance in the course of the liturgical year, Lent and each Friday in memory of the death of the Lord, are intense moments of the church's penitential practice. These times are particularly appropriate for spiritual exercises, penitential liturgies, pilgrimages as signs of penance, voluntary self-denial such as fasting and almsgiving, and fraternal sharing, charitable and missionary works. The process of conversion and repentance was described by Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son, the center of which is the merciful father. The fascination of illusory freedom, the abandonment of the father's house, the extreme misery in which the son finds himself after squandering his fortune, his deep humiliation at finding himself obliged to feed swine, and still worse, at wanting to feed on the husks the pigs ate, his reflection on all he has lost, his repentance and decision to declare himself guilty before his father, the journey back, the father's generous welcome, the father's joy. All these are characteristics of the process of conversion. The beautiful robe, the ring, and the festive banquet are symbols of that new life, pure, worthy, and joyful, of anyone who returns to God and to the bosom of his family, which is the church. Only the heart of Christ, who knows the depths of his Father's love, could reveal to us the abyss of his mercy in so simple and beautiful a way. The Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. Sin is before else an offense against God, a rupture of communion with him. At the same time, it damages communion with the church. For this reason, conversion entails both God's forgiveness and reconciliation with the church, which are expressed and accomplished liturgically by the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. Only God forgives sin. Only God forgives sins. Since he is the Son of God, Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins and exercises this divine power. Your sins are forgiven. Further, by virtue of his divine authority, he gives this power to men to exercise in his name. Christ has willed that in her prayer and life and action, his whole church should be the sign and instrument of the forgiveness and reconciliation that he acquired for us at the price of his blood. But he entrusted the exercise of the power of absolution to the apostolic ministry, which he charged with the ministry of reconciliation. The apostle is sent out on behalf of Christ, with God making his appeal through him and pleading, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation with the church. During his public life, Jesus not only forgave sins, but also made plain the effect of this forgiveness. He reintegrated forgiven sinners into the community of the people of God from which sin had alienated or even excluded them. A remarkable sign of this is the fact that Jesus receives sinners at his table, a gesture that expresses in an astonishing way both God's forgiveness and the return to the bosom of the people of God. In imparting to his apostles his own power to forgive sins, the Lord also gives them the authority to reconcile sinners with the church. The ecclesial dimension of their task is expressed most notably in Christ's solemn words to Simon Peter. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
The office of binding and loosing, which was given to Peter, was also assigned to the College of the Apostles, united to its head. The words bind and loose mean, whomever you exclude from your communion will be excluded from communion with God. Whomever you receive anew into your communion, God will welcome back into his. Reconciliation with the church is inseparable from reconciliation with God. The Sacrament of Forgiveness Christ instituted the sacrament of penance for all sinful members of his church, above all for those who, since baptism, have fallen into grave sin and have thus lost their baptismal grace and wounded ecclesial communion. It is to them that the sacrament of penance offers a new possibility to convert and to recover the grace of justification. The fathers of the church present this sacrament as the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck, which is the loss of grace. Over the centuries, the concrete form in which the church has exercised this power received from the Lord has varied considerably. During the first centuries, the reconciliation of Christians who had committed particularly grave sins after their baptism, for example, idolatry, murder, or adultery, was tied to a very rigorous discipline, according to which penitents had to do public service, excuse me, public penance for their sins, often for years before receiving reconciliation. To this order of penitence, which concerned only certain grave sins, one was only rarely admitted and in certain regions only once in a lifetime. During the 7th century, Irish missionaries, inspired by the Eastern monastic tradition, took to continental Europe the private practice of penance, which does not require public and prolonged completion of penitential works before reconciliation with the church. From that time on, the sacrament has been performed in secret between penitent and priest. This new practice envisioned the possibility of repetition and so opened the way to a regular fre frequenting of this sacrament. It allowed the forgiveness of grave sins and venial sins to be integrated into one sacramental celebration. In its main lines, this is the form of penance that the church has practiced down to our own day. Beneath the changes in discipline and celebration that the sacrament has undergone over the centuries, the same fundamental structure is to be discerned. It comprises two equally essential elements. On the one hand, the acts of the man who undergoes conversion through the action of the Holy Spirit, namely contrition, confession, and satisfaction. On the other, God's action through the intervention of the church. The church, who through the bishop and his priests, forgives sins in the name of Jesus Christ and determines the manner of satisfaction, also prays for the sinner and does penance with him. Thus, the sinner is healed and re-established in ecclesial communion. The formula of absolution used in the Latin church expresses the essential elements of this sacrament. The Father of mercies is the source of all forgiveness. He effects the reconciliation of sinners through the Passover of his Son and the gift of his Spirit, through the prayer and ministry of the church. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and the resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Penitent. Penance requires the sinner to endure all things willingly, be contrite of heart, confess with the lips, and practice complete humility and fruitful satisfaction. Contrition. Among the penitent's acts, contrition occupies first place. Contrition is sorrow of the soul and detestation for the sin committed, together with the resolution not to sin again. When it arises from a love by which God is loved above all else, contrition is called perfect, contrition of charity. Such contrition remits venial sins. 
It also obtains forgiveness of mortal sins if it includes the firm resolution to have recourse to sacramental confession as soon as possible. The contrition called imperfect or attrition is also a gift of God, a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It is born of the consideration of sin's ugliness or the fear of eternal damnation and the other penalties threatening the sinner. This is contrition of fear. Such a stirring of conscience can initiate an interior process which, under the prompting of grace, will be brought to completion by sacramental absolution. By itself, however, imperfect contrition cannot obtain the forgiveness of grave sins, but it disposes one to obtain forgiveness in the sacrament of penance. The reception of the sacrament ought to be prepared for by an examination of conscience, made in the light of the word of God. The passages best suited to this can be found in the Ten Commandments, the moral catechesis of the Gospels and the apostolic letters, such as the Sermon on the Mount and the apostolic teachings. The Confession of Sins The confession or disclosure of sins, even from a simply human point of view, frees us and facilitates our reconciliation with others. Through such an admission, man looks squarely at the sins he is guilty of, takes responsibility for them, and thereby opens himself again to God and to the communion of the church in order to make a new future possible. Confession to a priest is an essential part of the sacrament of penance. All mortal sins of which penitents, after a diligent self-examination, are conscious, must be recounted by them in confession, even if they are most secret and have been committed against the last two precepts of the the Decalogue. For these sins sometimes wound the soul more grievously and are more dangerous than those which are committed openly. When Christ's faithful strive to confess all the sins that they can remember, they undoubtedly place all of them before the divine mercy for pardon. But those who fail to do so and knowingly withhold some place nothing before the divine goodness for remission through the mediation of the priest. For if the sick person is too ashamed to show his wound to the doctor, the medicine cannot heal what it does not know. According to the church's command, after having attained the age of discretion, Each of the faithful is bound by an obligation faithfully to confess serious sins at least once a year. Anyone who is aware of having committed a mortal sin must not receive Holy Communion, even if he experiences deep contrition without having first received sacramental absolution, unless he has a grave reason for receiving communion and there is no possibility of going to confession. Children must go to the sacrament of penance before receiving Holy Communion for the first time. Without being strictly necessary, confession of everyday faults, venial sins, is nevertheless strongly recommended by the Church. Indeed, the regular confession of our venial sins helps us form our conscience, fight against evil tendencies, let ourselves be healed by Christ, and progress in the life of the Spirit. By receiving more frequently through the sacrament the gift of the Father's mercy, we are spurred to be merciful as he is merciful. Whoever confesses his sins is already working with God. God indicts your sins. If you also indict them, you are joined with God. Man and sinner are, so to speak, two realities. When you hear man, this is what God has made. When you hear sinner, this is what man himself has made. Destroy what you have made so that God may save what he has made. When you begin to abhor what you have made, it is then that your good works are beginning, since you are accusing yourself of your evil works. The beginning of good works is the confession of evil works. You do the truth and come to the light. That's St. Augustine. Satisfaction. Many sins wrong our neighbor. One must do what is possible in order to repair the harm. For example, return stolen goods, restore the reputation of someone slandered, pay compensation for injuries. Simple justice requires as much. 
but sin also injures and weakens the sinner himself, as well as his relationships with God and neighbor. Absolution takes away sin, but it does not remedy all the disorders sin has caused. Raised up from sin, the sinner must still recover his full spiritual health by doing something more to make amends for the sin. He must make satisfaction for or expiate his sins. This satisfaction is also called penance. The penance the confessor imposes must take into account the penitent's personal situation and must seek his spiritual good. It must correspond as far as possible with the gravity and nature of the sins committed. It can consist of prayer, an offering, works of mercy, service of neighbor, voluntary self-denial, sacrifices, and above all, the patient acceptance of the cross we must bear. Such penances help configure us to Christ, who alone expiated our sins once for all. They allow us to become co-heirs with the risen Christ, provided we suffer with him. The satisfaction that we make for our sins, however, is not so much ours as though it were not done through Jesus Christ. We who can do nothing ourselves, as if just by ourselves, can do all things with the cooperation of him who strengthens us. Thus man has nothing of which to boast, but all our boasting is in Christ, in whom we make satisfaction by bringing forth fruits that benefit repentance. Excuse me, that befit repentance. These fruits have their efficacy from him. By him they are offered to the Father, and through him they are accepted by the Father. And that was a statement from the Council of Trent. So this brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode for the week. Thanks for joining me. Between this week and next week's episode, please connect with me on Instagram and Facebook at Catholic Light Podcast or under Rebecca Doherty on Facebook. I will be praying for you. Please pray for me. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.